0: Let me read just the first six verses of Ephesians 4. We'll have to abbreviate our sermon a little bit. Let me remind you that the Apostle Paul in writing this great letter to Ephesus uh, has for three full chapters that we have in our English divisions of it, been speaking of the greatness of God in electing us and calling us unto salvation, and attributing unto us righteousness by faith in Jesus Christ. And then at the very end of the third chapter, he has made a magnificent prayer in which he has prayed for us and gives us a model which we ought to use in praying for others, that we might grow up into the fullness of Christ. And if we prayed this for other people uh, and also for ourselves, what a blessing it would be. Uh, That makes it connect uh, with of the doctrine, the teaching which he has taught, with the duties which will now become incumbent upon God's new society, his new people, those who are born in you by the Holy Spirit. I therefore, you see, that presupposes that you know what's gone before. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness. And meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. Now then, we'll take those six verses in just a moment and try to apply them to our lives. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the reminder of our Savior's extension upon the cross for us and that we who claim to know him are supposed to be crucified with him. And therefore we pray that you will help us to die to self that he might live through us. We are thankful for the opportunity we have of working together in extending the good message which you have brought to us by the great sacrifice of our savior and the redemption possible through him. We praise you for members of this congregation who have gone to serve in the hard places. We also add to those who have been prayed for, the Gartrells, and thank you for Virginia and her service in Brazil, and also for Ellen, who has gone there now too. And we pray for others, that you will bless each of them and help us in this time when we emphasize the world witness to Jesus Christ that we may truly honor him by praying and giving and putting our hearts into an understanding of that important labor for you. And now help us to learn the lesson that we have this day so that we can put it into practice and bring honor to you. For Jesus' sake, amen. Look at uh, the, take your bulletin, so we'll all be looking at the same version of scripture. I had been teaching through Ephesians, and I want you to look at this, I therefore, uh, he has spoken about what's gone on before, and he speaks of himself as a prisoner of the Lord. He is writing from prison, Uh, but there is nothing droll about what he writes. He is powerful in what he writes because the holy spirit is working through him he has been in danger because of false brethren who have betrayed him he has been beaten for the sake of the gospel he receives no salary he has no beautiful manse he has no secretary no radio or television ministry he has no boatload of books dragging around after him uh he has the holy spirit in his heart and he speaks uh, words of great power. I've often thought of the amanuensis, the secretary who copied these words down. He must have looked up with tears and a shining face at this manacled penman who spoke to him the words that God's spirit was dictating to his mind and heart and also to us here in Montreat today. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, not the prisoner of the Roman Empire, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. That we walk. We talked about KC 83. We talked about the four spiritual laws. We talk about making a decision for Christ. That's a step. There is a great deal of difference in a step and a walk. You make a step when you make a commitment to Christ, but you don't stop there. You go on, and it's the going on that requires the being crucified daily with Christ in order that the attributes of Christ by the Holy Spirit may flow forth in our lives to other people. We are to walk worthy of the vocation, the calling which we have been called to we are called to be saints of god representatives of jesus christ even to people who do not like us and that's very difficult sometimes for us to do Uh, we have a distinction here we are to walk worthy of the calling to which we are called i have a friend who's a very good preacher stuart briscoe many of you have heard him and know him and stuart used to tell a story of, uh, uh, that came from the Duke of Windsor and um, the Prince of Wales when they were little boys. They were sons of George V, And uh, they were playing one day away from, uh, in Hyde Park. Uh, they got into a little discussion, actually a, a bet. One of them bet a shilling that all of the Bobbies, the constables, who wear those tall helmets, that if they were fat, they would also be ball headed So one said, well, I'll bet your shilling they're not. Well, the only way you could tell would be to dislodge that helmet from the top of his head. But how would you do that? And they saw a scruffy little street urchin from the east end of London, the Cockney section, and uh, he came, they called him over, and they said, Could you tell us how to dislodge the helmet from that policeman's head? And he knew how. <laughs> so he picked up a stone and he said, Watch. And he threw and perfect. He hit the target and it knocked the helmet off of the policeman's head. <laughs> he was bald headed. <laughs> and so while one of the two, Royal children was collecting his bet the Bobby came over and grabbed all three of them and began to uh, Ask them their names and to chide them for what they had done And he said to one of the royal family. He said, who are you? And he said I am the Duke of Windsor and uh, The Bobby didn't believe him. He said the Duke of Windsor and He said yes, the Duke of Windsor. Well, the Bobby when he's pencil, back then they had pencils and he wrote down the Duke of Windsor, and he said, who are you? And he said, I am the Prince of Wales The policeman shook his head and he wrote down the Prince of Wales, but he told him he didn't believe him And then he looked at the other little street urchin and he said, and who might you be? And he said to the two royal children I won't let you down mateys. I'm the Archbishop of Canterbury, sir. (laughs) Well, it was a little hard for people to believe this because a a prince is not expected to conduct himself in this way. A prince, in fact, when the uh, uh, Duke of Windsor died, you remember he abdicated the, the throne and uh, when after his death there was uh, a portrayal on television of his life, one of the things that was brought out by the television interviewer was that his father, George V, had been a strict disciplinarian. And uh, he said of his father that sometimes when he had done something that was wrong, that his father would admonish him and say, my dear boy, you must always remember who you are. Well, now this is what Paul is saying to us here, that we are always to remember who we are, that we are called Christians is one thing, but that we are to walk as Christians is another thing. We are to live the Christian life, and that's not an easy thing to do. And so he gives us some keys. And if you look at the bottom of the bulletin, I'll try to hit this as quickly as possible. It shows you how to get along with Christians. Our job as Christians is to bring peace and reconciliation to the world, but we cannot bring that peace or reconciliation to the world unless we have peace and reconciliation among Christians first. And that's what this passage is about today. Now, as far as God is concerned, if you look in those verses, you see those words which I spoke to you about a moment ago in verse uh, four, that there is one body, there is one spirit, there is one hope, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all. You see the oneness of God Manifested here How are Christians To work as a team How are we To work together We are to work together When we manifest In our lives these Attributes which he speaks Of here We are to have lowliness And that's not Servile Sniveling over into the corner Slavishness but it means be willing to take a lower place in order that someone else may have a better place. This is important for us to remember. It's like Jesus Christ. He who was rich for our sakes became poor that we through his poverty might become rich. He is meek and lowly in heart and so we can learn of him. But the opposite of lowliness is pride And pride always means that we maneuver to put ourselves in a superior position And when we do, that creates trouble All of us instinctively and intuitively and immediately like people who have a proper respect for us And all of us instinctively, intuitively, and immediately dislike people who treat us as mud. That's the way we operate. But here there is a lowliness that tells us not to take revenge, but to be able to take what Jesus took and to get on with the business of living a Christian life. Then quickly, meekness. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Jesus said, I am meek and lowly in heart. Meekness is power under control. Meekness uh, has the right attitude toward anger. It knows when to be angry at the thing which is evil and wrong. And it knows not to allow that anger to go too far. Uh, I once watched a big dog that George Pickering had out at at Camp Rockmont, huge, big old dog. I, I don't know what that thing was. It was, I think it's a Labrador, one of those big black dogs. It was so big that little children playing with it could almost pull its tongue and it wouldn't bite them. And that dog had puppies. And those puppies would come up and fight the dog and annoy it that dog could have turned around with one chomp and bit one of them in two, but it took it. It had dignity that I wish some others of us could have. There was a lesson to be learned in that. The dog could, could uh, uh, show uh, that it had power, but his power was under control and it could put up with uh, the learning of a puppy. I can remember the first time that I ever Uh, was asked to take the controls of a jet airplane. It was up in Labrador. And uh, I I had flown in Piper Cubs and in Stinson's and Cessna's and other aircraft like that that were propeller driven aircraft. But uh, there I was in an F-102, one of those Delta Dagger uh, night Interceptors that took off like a rocket. And uh, the pilot and I uh, got to be good friends, and we were flying 40 or 50,000 feet up, and uh, so there wasn't much to run into up there. And uh, uh, he uh, said to me, You take the controls. And uh, so I I had the controls in the, of the aircraft in my hand, the rudder and, and the stick that I controlled with. Well, when you fly a Piper Cub, uh, if you push the stick over, it goes over like this. On that F-102, about all you had to do was think it, and it went whoom, <laughs> out of sight. And I was two miles down before I knew what happened. And uh, it's power, that enormous surge of power and that power under control. Later I was in a Phantom F-4C, and that thing went 1,640 miles an hour. That's two and a half times the speed of sound. I've always liked to say it's the only time I ever got out of an airplane and heard myself coming. Uh, It's a tremendous speed in the aircraft. But the thing that makes it exciting to fly an airplane like that is that it is power under control, the enormous power, and yet the way in which it's controlled, and there are sophisticated computers that are there to lead you. There is patience that we are to show. Uh, you know what the word patience means in Latin? It means suffering with sense. I'm going to tell my doctor's son that. Suffering with sense. That's what a patient is. <laughs> it, he, is he is being patient. And he is suffering for a, a reason. The patient is. Uh, but he is suffering trying to learn through the suffering. And we need to manifest this toward other people. Forbearance is a tremendous thing. That means you, you really tough it out. To bear and to forbear. The British were great fighters in World War II. And uh, they came back through the oratory of Winston Churchill and through working together against almost incredible odds against Hitler. And one of the things that I always remember about them is that when someone asked how to describe a British soldier, they said he can always fight five minutes longer than he's supposed to, five minutes longer. He can hold out five more minutes. And so forbearance is there. And then of course love is the great word Uh, which the Christians brought in you, It's not charity in the sense of a a charity that you give or give not to but it is agape and let me say here this is not sloppy agape. Uh, It's not that gushy sentiment that people give expression to that has no thought in back of it and no price paid in order to manifest it but it's a love that sacrificially gives and takes it um, when it gets nothing in return and does it when it is not deserved. Well, if we go through these, that creates the last virtue there, it creates peace. And this is what we seek for, is peace. And this makes the body work together And it comes because of the grace of Jesus Christ. And who of us does not need that grace? Last uh, week, I did not get to speak on communion as I'd hoped to, and in my research, I found something that I'd never found before by John Duncan, who was a great teacher at the University of Edinburgh, and I close with it, it's very brief. Duncan was a, uh, rabbi, Duncan, was a professor at the school that I had the privilege of going to at New College in Edinburgh. Years and years ago, when he applied for his application to teach Semitic languages, he he applied in Sanskrit, Chaldean, Phoenician, Hebrew, Aramaic, uh, and Greek. He he went through all of those languages. He was a brilliant linguist, uh, uh, genius with languages. He was a deep spiritual giant. And one day he became greatly discouraged because he thought of his Christian life as a failure. That he just simply had not grown to be what he ought to be for the Lord and it grieved him enormously. And uh, then he chided himself out of this by thinking of the Greek word for grace. These are graces gifts from god charis is the greek word for grace and then he thought about the amazing grace of god and that it made god happy to extend grace to us now think about that and then he thought about the parable of the prodigal son and the boy that came home and the father rejoiced that that scoundrel who had wasted his money and been so rebellious, the father rejoiced that he could show him grace and receive him back. And then the happy thought came to Professor Duncan that God rejoices to extend grace to me. And you know what he said? He said, I'm going to make God happy. I'm going to accept his grace and I'm going to enjoy it. And that's a good lesson to learn. That helps us to bring our lives into tune again. Let's bow in prayer. Our Father, we are thankful for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are thankful that you are happy when we accept that grace and take the opportunity that we have of making corrections. And so we are thankful for this important passage of scripture which reflects to us so much of what we need. And pray that you will bless us, that we may live lives that are worthy of the calling to which we have been called. In Jesus' name, amen.